are surprisingly to me just creeping towards the end of February. We're starting a new month Friday, which is just crazy how time is flying by. But happy Tuesday, everybody. Hopefully you're able to get out and go for a little walk, at least enjoy a little bit of this crazy warm weather. I think we're breaking records left and right. Yesterday we broke one, and I think today we're going to break another one. But just kind of crazy. It is going to get a little cooler again, and when it does... What do you do? Do you hunker down and play games? That's what we did a couple nights ago, and it had me thinking, like, what are your favorite games? Is your family a game-playing group? Would you rather be on the couch and watch a movie or stream shows? But we played a new game, thanks to my friends, called Sky Joe, which... I like playing games, but I also like to play a game where we can still have a conversation and I don't have to just completely be focused on the cards in my hand. Sky Joe. Yeah, I'd never heard of it. Just ordered a deck of cards on uh, Amazon. So you kind of put, let me think about this now, 12 cards out Mm -hmm. and they're face down. And you're playing columns, and you wipe the column out, and you're trying to be the person to go out and have the least amount of points. Is it a 52-card deck? No. It's its own thing. It's its own thing. Kind of like Phase 10, which is another one that I like. Uno. Uno. Yeah. A great one. All of those, I think, are card games you can play and still be able to have a conversation with friends. Sequence, I think, is a fun one. But what's your favorite Board game or game, Woods Basement Systems, text line 84126. Or do you just hate games altogether? Because I do have one friend who has walked out more than once. Who hates games? Oh, I have a, I have a friend or two who's just not in it, not going to do it. My dad doesn't like to play games either if the whole family's playing. He's like, eh, no thanks. I'll sit out. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, if it's with the guys, then it's risk, you- which is the game of global domination so hold on if it's with the guys you have separate games yeah like i'm not playing risk with my mom even though she would probably love to what's the i don't know that i've ever played risk so risk you haven't i don't guess so if i mean it's a guy's game Do you know i don't know is it kind of i don't think well kind of not uh do you know what it's about i don't You've never seen the, I've seen the board. The, it's a it's I know a world it's a map, okay. and it's a dice game. And you 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 know if you've got five guys on one country and you attack a country with two guys, then chances are, the roll of the dice, you could defeat those people and move into that next country. So it is. Um, Do you have to be pretty smart when it comes to? Geography? No, no. Do you need... it's completely no. luck based, Heidi. Okay. And the problem with risk is that it takes like five hours to oh. play. Oh, not necessarily, but uh, there is like the PlayStation version of Risk, a mm-hmm. video game version that moves so much quicker, way faster, because you don't have to like set you up. You don't need to roll a million dice. You don't have to it set up all okay. it just does okay. pieces. Makes sense. With the guys, you know, and I used to have them over and we would open the windows and smoke cigars and, you know, make backdoor deals. Everyone would pretend like they're, you know, Dwight Eisenhower and Napoleon or whatever. 
but it was fun. With my wife, if Finn goes to bed early and we've got the fire going, which we might need to kick back on tomorrow night, yeah. maybe even tonight, uh, it is Yahtzee. Yahtzee. And she introduced me to that. I never played Yahtzee until, you know, four years ago. Uh, somebody said, I love Sky Joe. We also play Five Crowns. Somebody else said Five Crowns. And the card game golf, we have played the card game golf. Good games to play and also have conversations. Somebody else saying, I hate games. I, I get it. Rummy Cube, Risk is an hours long commitment. Did someone say Skip Bow? I've heard of that being a thing. Skip yeah. Bow. We play Pass the Trash, super easy and family friendly. I've Heard of it, but now I'm drawing a blank on how you play. Uh, it's a card game, if I remember correctly. Backgammon. Euch- I've never heard of that one. Euchre? Oh, Is yeah. Is Euchre a thing? Absolutely. Euchre, rummy, spades. I love spades. Spades uh, and hearts. Our friend Susan, I play left, right, center with my high school friends. We play for dollar bills. You can drink wine and talk at the same time. I agree. I do love left, right, left, center. Left, right, center is awesome. It's so is that much dice? fun. Yes. Right? You yeah. got to buy like this. Well, I guess you could just use regular dice. We always use regular dice and knew what each one was. And then all of a sudden, someone was brilliant enough to, to just buy pack the it. actual dice. Yeah, yeah. And make it so easy. You can uh, win some good money doing that. You sure can. <laughs> have you ever played Farkle? You play Yahtzee. Have you ever played Farkle? What's Farkle? I've it's heard like of a Yahtzee it. type of game, but a little more risky because you can like bust if you don't roll the dice that you need. You'd get zero for the round. Hmm. So it's kind of a little bit of like gambling plus Yahtzee. Oh. I mean, zero for the round. Yikes. What about, uh, I've told you guys about this before. We had a game in the 80s in our game closet and it was like Yahtzee, but instead of rolling dice out, you rolled out pigs. I and do de- remember you saying something about this. And depending on whether the pigs landed on their feet or on their head or on their side, you would get points. What was the name of the <laughs> I game? I still don't know. Pig in a poke. Pig up the pigs. I, I mean, Pig in a blanket. Something. So isn't it, it's, I think why don't you dish. just use dice, you know? I, I don't know why they were like, let's do Yahtzee, but with pigs. You know, there's no okay. rhyme or reason for it. But Somebody saying, I used to love playing Pictionary. Have you played Telestrations, which is kind of the game of telephone, only you're drawing a picture and then you pass it and the person next to you has to guess what it is. Then that person passes it and that person has to draw whatever they wrote and so by the time it gets back oh, I love this. to you, you're kind of like, uh, and then they also have telestrations after dark. Oh, I like that even more. Version. <laughs> yeah. What are those pick? Wingspan, the best game ever takes a while to learn. I've played Wingspan once. It's okay. like a bird game. It's like a bird based card. Like if you're a birder, you probably probably would love Wingspan. Yeah. Really? Life is a birder. Yeah. yeah. Um, by the way, Not to get too far off track, but I just found out something over the weekend. Somebody says pass the pigs. Is that right? I don't know what it's called. I thought it was called pig in a poke. What did you find out? Pygmalion. Is it Pygmalion? I don't think it was called Pygmalion. Two people say pass the pigs. There's a sound of a bird outside Mm -hmm. and I for years I always glad you uh, clarified outside rather than in like early in the morning. But this was in the afternoon when me and me and Finn were out for a walk looking for the. I thought it was an owl for a hundred years. I thought this was an owl. Sure, wasn't a bullfrog. But this is the sound. 
It's a morning dove. Yeah, that's not now. I had no idea. I'm walking around Newtown looking in the trees for owls. There's doves everywhere. Yeah. And I say, well, look, look, we should ask those doves if they've seen the owl. Owls hoot, Josh. Yeah. They, they, don't, they don't whistle and I call I think like my that. dad might have told me years ago. Well, he oh. was pulling your leg. Oh, that's an owl. And so now for the last 30-something years, I thought that was an owl. And I'm looking around, for, and I, I'm like, you know what? Maybe it's these doves. And I, I YouTubed dove sounds. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, the YouTube clip played it. And I said, well, you know what, Finn? Those are those are those doves up there, actually. And he goes, no, 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 they're owls. Is- and I said, I, boy, I just did what what my dad did to hit. Now he's going to grow up thinking that's an owl sound. Well, you can fix it. It's early. So, do you still of- think chocolate milk comes from brown cows? <laughs> brown cows? No, I never thought no. that. Where does the strawberry milk come Pink from? Cows. Yeah. Pink cows. Uh, clue. Old board game from early seventies. Still play it with family. I love Clue. You know, you've got. Mrs. Peacock in the library with the candlestick. I haven't played that since I was 12. Oh, my gosh. So much fun, though. Uh, I tried to play the game of life, but nobody wanted to play with me. They said it took too long. Well, I do think there should be a restriction on how long the game is. I I love dominoes and Mexican train. My mom taught me that one. Oh, Mexican train dominoes yes. is so Yes. So much fun. Speaking of trains, Max told me this. I still haven't played it, but Ticket to Ride. Somebody else just said Ticket to Ride. What is that? They say that that is the most fun game ever, Ticket to Ride. Apparently, you're some sort of, you know, uh, railroad baron. Is it Beatles-themed? No, it's not. It's Mm -mm. funny. Someone else said Taboo. That's a great one. I love just a good old game of charades. If you're with the right group of people and you don't even like you can fold up whatever it is and put it in the basket and everybody plays. I love seeing people try to act things out. Hmm. Uh, what we played over the holidays when a lot of family was in town is a game called Code Names. I don't know if you played that one. No. It's a pretty easy card game. You got to buy the cards for it. It's not just a deck of cards, but uh, you kind of team up and it's kind of charades like you're trying to get them to guess uh, a word, but you can only give one word hints to get, you know. To get them to guess it. It's interesting. If, if anyone out there has played code names, text We've them. also played uh, four-letter words, and there's like four letters on the card, and those are the four letters you can't use to describe whatever is on the card. You know what's funny is that game that you were describing, the, the you draw the pictures, uh-huh. but it's like telephone. Telestrations. Telestrations. Uh, and telestrations after dark and uh, words with friends and cards against humanity or, or whatever. Um, the the old papers, people just put them back in the box. Mm-hmm. So you open it up and you maybe you haven't seen it in like two. Oh, we haven't played this in two years. And you pull out the picture. Oh, oh, my gosh. Remember? Remember when Josh drew this? Yeah. So I always think it's fun to keep the old the old pieces of paper because then you could relive some of the the crazy times, the crazier answers uh-huh. that somebody gave. Somebody else saying agree, ticket to ride, um, love charades. What about categories? Oh, I like categories. I haven't played that in a while, but we do have that one, or just the old fashioned trivia game where you have the pieces of the pie. Oh, Trivial Pursuit. Yeah, you got to get the the pop culture one. Yeah, that one's it's more fun, isn't it? Easier. Uh, loaded questions. 
Somebody said, look it up. So fun and hilarious. Too funny. Um, I'm about 70. When I was 11 or 12, we played an all-summer game of Risk in my basement. Three friends having a good time. No screens, obviously. All summer long. Yeah. Gosh. That's how long you can take. <laughs> if you wanted to. I'm sure you know, Josh, you, if you ball up and just be defensive, you it know, takes forever. It it probably does. But uh, back in the day when we were in the fifth grade, we had the time. Yeah. We had the time. Somebody across the board horse racing game, which is made here in St. Louis. I do love that. Where you like roll the dice? Yes, and see yeah. how far the mm-hmm. horses get to go. I've and done you... that. Is that like you do it with golf tees almost? The I've seen ones where it's a wooden plank with the yeah. little holes in it, and you kind of move the horse up. Mm-hmm. Horse rate. A lot of people. We didn't use golf tees. They had little plastic little horses. horses. Oh, they had actual horses. Uh, I'll send you yeah. a picture of it. It's pretty cool. A lot of people use that as a drinking game. Yeah, we still have weekly family game night with my 12 and 8-year-old. We love it. No screens and lots of laughs. Somebody else said Scrabble, Balderdash. You guys all have so many great suggestions. If you play Monopoly the actual way it's supposed to be played. Which I've never played a full game. It goes pretty quick. It does? Yeah. No, no, no. You could do it pretty quickly. (laughs) No way. Yeah. Like, if you don't have the money and you land on park place and you you're like i don't want to buy it uh, i'll leave it for the next round then it goes to auction it goes to auction that doesn't that's not what speeds it up though right it's the problem when you need to deal with everyone to get monopolies so you're just kind of sitting there in limbo because nobody wants to deal do you want to know the trick to monopoly sure are you wanting to share it yeah 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 it's all about something that is low enough in price where you can load up on the hotels pretty quickly and when people get out of jail they're stuck on that row it's the row with the purple why are they put in it's jail? all about orange the orange the properties. orange properties are the secret to monopoly but everybody just, knows this i just gave it away so that's you know everyone wants the oranges the orange properties yeah that's the secret to winning oh okay keep that in mind you heard it here mm-hmm on the Heidi Glass show with <laughs> Josh Gilbert. You know, I was watching the Today Show yesterday, and they were going through uh, kind of talking about some ways to stay financially fit in a couple of ways. Like they talked about envelope stuffing, which you've heard of. You put, you know, a couple of envelopes out, and you put however much money and you use you know, cash. That's how much you're going to spend on going out to dinner. And then you have your groceries, and that's another envelope. And when that envelope is empty, oh. nothing else goes in that envelope. Well, I'm thinking, you know what? It'd just be better to go to Together Credit Union because they are offering a guaranteed way to grow your money. And they're doing that with two limited-time CD promotions. The first option is 11-month CD term. With a 5.40% annual percentage yield, which is a pretty darn good deal. And then the second option is a 19-month CD term with a 5.00% annual percentage yield. Now, both options require a minimum balance of $1,000. Of course, you can put more in it if you want to. But it really is just a, a great way to kind of build on what you already have. You can learn more at togethercu.org. But that's just one of the many programs that Together Credit Union has. And don't forget, a credit union is working for their members, not stockholders. So that's really cool to 
as well. And you're going to always talk to somebody. You're going to be on a first-name basis. So it is really kind of a hometown feel. I mean, it started right here in St. Louis. You can learn more about everything I just mentioned and all the other products, TogetherCU.org. apologized to a St. Louis troop raising money for Gaza. What exactly happened? We're going straight to the source. Noel Abadamda of St. Louis started a bracelet-making fundraiser with her troop, and she joins us to explain. I mean, this is kind of crazy. Tell me how it started. Sure. So it really, it's very simple. The girls, um, well, it started with us earning actually a journey called the the Agents of Change Journey. And in order to earn the journey, you earn, uh, you acquire serious skills. And the last step is to participate in a take action project that's going to benefit and educate the community. So the girls themselves felt as if uh, they needed their Take Action project to be about Palestine, and they wanted to make and sell bracelets, handmade bracelets, to the community to raise money for Palestinian children. Seems like a sweet idea. Yes. Yeah, it is. It's very simple. It's, you know, they're 10-year-olds, 10 and 11-year-olds who um, just... Uh, want to do something positive. And how and long have you been leading this troop? I've been leading since the very beginning, uh, since they were daisies. So this is our fifth year. So then what happened after the bracelets are made? What happens next? Well, um, we didn't make the bracelets just yet. We wanted to gauge what our community, how many bracelets we needed to sell in our community. Um, honestly, we did not think we would be selling outside of, you know, just the West County area. We we thought uh, we would only be selling inside of our mosque. So we started a pre-order fo- form. It didn't take uh, much information, just their name and how many bracelets they think they're going to buy. Um, that went over, you know, almost 200 to where I had to close that pre-order form so I can get more information um, and uh, or and started the order form. But um, so but only after two days, we put the form online uh, where Girl Scouts of Eastern Missouri reached out to us via email. And basically what they said is that you couldn't raise money that represents partisan politics. Yeah, that was uh, what was said, and that's that's why we were upset, is that because they uh, deemed raising money for children in Palestine as polit- political and partisan. Have they, other troops done something similar for other groups? You know, and that's what, that's what we were inspired by. Um, we remembered uh, seeing... Articles highlighted by Girl Scouts themselves of troops raising money for war victims in Ukraine. Um, and that article is the entire reason we, we thought, okay, well, this is a great idea. I think um, I think it, it would be okay. I think Girl Scouts would approve us uh, raising money for children. 
So this letter came from the Girl Scouts of Eastern Missouri. And then after you received this letter, what did you do? Well, it was an email, and I was trying to process, you know, and so I, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't just one email. It was a few. I mean, if I could remember correctly, possibly three or four, you know, uh, email back to back, you know, t- demanding that I remove any association of Girl Scouts at all to our fundraiser, encouraging us to do it on our own free time. Um, it almost felt like to us they didn't want anything to do with it. Um, and we thought we were just living by the Girl Scout law, you know, making the world a better place. And so after processing, um, I responded uh, very heartfelt. I wanted them to understand, first understand why it was important to us, why our girls, how they are mourning, um, and they expressed uh, feelings of guilt and that they wanted to do something. Um, and and I also I wanted to know how they they viewed this as something political, you know, and that's how I responded. How do you even explain this to ten year ten year olds? This is hard for me to comprehend. Yeah, it was hard to explain, and I think really before um, before this even got any traction, because I honestly didn't think it would get as much attention as it has. Honestly, I, I didn't. Um, so we had to recently explain it in more depth to them. But just then we said, you know, uh, there, we didn't talk to them until we started to think about disbanding. And we said, you know, we love Palestine. We love our brothers and sisters. And, and we believe that what we're doing is right. But Girl Scouts doesn't really want uh, – us to do the fundraiser in their name. So would you guys be okay with disbanding um, so that we can continue this fundraiser and do do great things in the world? And, I mean, the, the only thing that they responded was, great, so what do you think we should call ourselves? <laughs> you know? <laughs> I love that. So are, did, yeah. are you guys no longer affiliated with the Girl Scouts? No. Yes, we formally disbanded. Well, that's, I mean, that's a, a real shame. Because it is an organization that uh, does a lot of good for young girls and and teaches them a lot of really important things. And I guess one of the lessons that was learned today is that it's not always, uh, you know, politics gets in the way, I guess, would be a, a one way of saying it. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up that point because we do uh, appreciate the opportunities and the skills that Girl Scouts has te- taught us. And we really felt um, like true Girl Scouts. You know, it was part of us. And that is why we thought it would be okay um, calling ourselves. That's the only, we, we are struggling with what to call ourselves now because we've been calling ourselves Girl Scout Troop 149 for so long. And that's why, you know, we added the logo because it, we we thought, okay, well, this is what we believe in. And so I agree with you. It's a great organization. Yeah, and it's sad that, that you had to to leave. What is the Palestine Children's Relief Fund, and why did you pick them? The, Pal- the Palestine Children's Relief Fund, um, they offer a variety of services. One in particular that we truly value is um, it's really even hard to – say it out loud, but the children who 
have lost limbs or have been so severely burned by the phosphorus or um, by the bombardment and and they can't receive the surgeries and cares um, uh, where they are, uh, whether they went to Egypt or remained in Palestine to receive that care elsewhere. Um, and so, uh, and that's just part of what they, what they do. And we just wanted to help as much as possible. Um, if we, you know, I mean, what we don't, I don't really know what else to say because it's such, it's so sad seeing well, all the images and videos coming out. Noah, we're talking about children on both sides of this story and no matter how you look at it, children shouldn't be tied in to any mm-hmm. political side as far as that goes. But tell people how much you guys have raised since you restarted your independent fundraiser. Yeah, so the first time around, we thought it was, we were very pleased to raise over $3,000, you Amazing. know, up to 3500 in just the first fundraiser that we started. And, and we closed it. And um, by popular demand, <laughs> we reopened the fundraiser. And I'm, I'm going to be honest, I haven't looked at it since this morning, but it was, it was over $10,000. That is amazing. Um, yeah, it is amazing. It is. So I know that you did end up getting an apology from the CEO of Girl Scouts of the United States. How did that come to be? Care, um, Care National and Care Missouri, they reached out to me and they asked me if it was okay if, if we, you know, they, we actually, we've been in communication since the very beginning. I've, I was speaking to Care Missouri since I was receiving the emails, especially because of uh, them threatening legal counsel to get involved. And CARE is um, Council so I, on American-Islamic Relations? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, we released a statement, um, you know, to Girl Scouts asking them to, you know, do a very, very series of things, um, holding the Eastern Missouri accountable um, for one and they did release a uh, statement back, uh, essentially apologizing and regretting that, you know, you're regretting the disappointment that this caused and the hurt that this caused. Yeah. And it really is a shame that uh, the girls can no longer be Girl Scouts or feel comfortable being Girl Scouts. But I'm sure that you guys will figure something out to teach them all the, the right lessons that they would have yeah. learned and maybe a couple more. Yeah, exactly. We're still going to continue to do the important work that we're doing. Um, we're we're strong in our community, and we love to to do community service and um, build our character through skills. So we're going to continue to do what we've been doing, um, just not under Girl Scouts. Yeah. Well, I think we've all learned an important lesson here, Nual Abahamda. Thank you so much for your time today, and keep up the great work. Great. Thank you so much for having me. I mean, really, we're talking about an organization that helps kids. I I can't see that being... Injured kids caught in a war zone is not political, in my opinion. Mine either, but I'll tell you another group that helps kids, and they do it right here in St. Louis, SSM Health Cardinal Glenn and Children's Hospital. Sometimes we forget, I think, that this was the first freestanding...
Catholic pediatric hospital in the country. And from the beginning, they knew they were never turning a child away. That's the way it's been. That's the way it's always going to be. And part of that is because there's SSM Health Cardinal Glenn and Children's Foundation. I mean, it really makes such a huge impact, not only to the hospital's programs and services, but to the families that are there to receive the best care because it's more than just whatever happens to uh, the child, whether it be a surgery or a simple cast on a broken wrist. But there are so many other things like a little library nook in a corner so that they maybe forget they're in the hospital for a second. Or maybe it's the game room where they can get out of their hospital room and have some time with their siblings and just feel like a kid again. Cardinal Glennon Children's Foundation, it is a great organization. If you're looking for a place to donate, you can learn more about everything they're doing at Cardinal Glennon Children's Hospital or the foundation. Just go to Glennon.org. President Biden met with the top four congressional leaders as another critical deadline looms. Ike Ajachi, ABC News correspondent in Washington, joins us with the latest. So he met with these leaders. Did we accomplish anything? Well, not as much as I'm sure they would have hoped. So we know that these are the four top, uh, the two top Democrats and two top Republicans uh, in the House and Senate. And they met with President Biden, and President Biden's hope is to push forward the conversation with providing wartime aid for Ukraine, Israel, and, of course, Taiwan. Now, the, they first began speaking about uh, essentially the upcoming government shutdown, and uh, essentially Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer and House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries, they both expressed the optimism that a shutdown would be avoided, uh, avoided rather. House Speaker Mike Johnson said that he didn't want funding to lapse. So they all seem to essentially be on the same page. Uh, but, you know, lawmakers, they have until Friday night to find an agreement before essentially some agencies are impacted by that partial government shutdown. But it wasn't until the conversation turned to Ukraine aid that apparently the whole meeting became tense. Hmm. Uh, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said that everybody in the room uh, himself, McConnell, uh, Biden, Vice President Harris, Hakeem Jeffries, they all said they were on the same page in terms of providing aid for Ukraine. And it was only House Speaker Mike Johnson who apparently had different set, uh, sentiments. They all looked at him and said that essentially the ball is in his court and history will be watching his actions. So at that, do they all just get up and leave? What happens after that? Well, you know, House Speaker Mike Johnson, they, he essentially did have a one-on-one meeting with President Biden, something he's been looking for for weeks. Uh, he called that meeting frank and honest, but essentially it's been the same things that you've been hearing President Biden ask for, the funding for Ukraine, Israel, Taiwan, obviously border security. Don't forget, he turned down that bipartisan uh, package that would have addressed the border, things, uh, a package both sides of the party and even the conservative, conservative-leaning uh, uh, border patrol agency, they all supported it. They turned it down. Uh, you know, so essentially we're seeing House Speaker Mike Johnson really followed the lead of former President Donald Trump. 
You know, Trump did not want a deal on the border. He does not want to fund Ukraine. And he's told the House Republicans not to give President Biden a win. Uh, one of those Republicans happened to be House Speaker Mike Johnson. And we're seeing himself, as well as several other Republicans in the party, fall in line with that train of thought. Has Mike Johnson said as much openly? Has he gone on the record to say we're doing this to block Biden from getting a win? Uh, I know that Chuck Grassley said it openly, but, uh, you know, Mike Johnson's the one holding the 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 reins here. Has he come out and said that's why he's blocking it? Well, in this case, actions speak louder than words. He has not come out and said that specifically, but he's come out and said that he wants border provisions before funding for Ukraine. Both parties came together, including Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, provided them with border security, and he shot that down for no apparent reason. Uh, This is proof in terms of his actions that he does not want this deal to happen. Uh, Where that goes moving forward, he said that his main priority is border security, even though he shot down that effort to have border security. And then he said that funding for Ukraine uh, will be, they said that the House will be investigating options that was essentially non-committal on any potential action. Now, it's more as, of the same. Yeah. yeah. Uh, aside from us, the American people, who stands to lose if we do hit a government shutdown? Well, what we're seeing right now is we're going to lose uh, a lot of the agencies. Uh, they're going to really... Uh, be depleted in terms of how they can provide their services. You know, if they don't reach that deal by uh, Friday, you know, funding extends only through March 1st. So we're looking at the Department of Agriculture, Energy, Transportation, the VA, Housing and Urban Development, even the Food and Drug Administrations. Uh, we can see uh, priorities such as military construction be put on hold. That means people's jobs are going to be put on hold. People's lives are going to be put, put on hold. And of course, that March 8th, uh, deadline isn't reached. That's a full government shutdown. So we're talking about the DOJ, the Commerce, the Defense Department, Homeland Security, uh, so many things that uh, affect the day-to-day. And of course, the paychecks of 4 million Americans who work for the government that rely on, uh, on obviously the government running. And politically speaking, who's going to get the blame? Well, House Republicans. You know, the American people, they're not dumb. They realize that uh, House Republicans control the keys for this. And the reason why we're always going into a near shutdown is because the constant infighting within Republicans, uh, you know, they look at what happened to House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, how long it took to elect him, something that hasn't happened in 150 years. Uh, they look at essentially the constant threats House Speaker Mike Johnson is, uh, is under just for simply trying to work with the other side of the party. Uh, so uh, the American people see this and they realize that the dysfunction is coming from House Republicans. Yeah. So if this does happen, the, 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 the blame will be placed solely at their feet. Mm. Ike Ajachi, thanks for your report. Thanks for having me. Take care. Speaking of houses, when you walk through your house, do you notice that maybe there's several different colors of grout throughout your kitchen or maybe in that area that is most 
walked over, traveled upon. It's darker than the rest just because of all the years of dirt. Well, the Grout Medic will come in and professionally clean and then seal your grout so that it's all one consistent color again. It basically looks like it did when it was originally installed. And the best part, it was then stay clean. It kind of is a miracle thing that they can do. Their sealer protects against dirt and discoloring, and that lasts 7 to 10 years. It sounds too good to be true, but I promise you it is not. And there are uh, plenty of places where you can see that the proof is in the pudding. I mean, they have been uh, around for five years, and business is booming because this is really a way, instead of pulling all of it up and redoing, this is a way to make your tile look better than ever before and not empty your pocketbook. You can check them out on Facebook, the Grout Medic of St. Louis. You can go online, groutmedicstl.com, or you can call the Grout Medic, 636-317-8860, and when you do be sure to mention myself or ktrs during the estimate and receive 10 percent off any of the services needed but again you can see all kinds of before and after photos just go to facebook the grout medic of st louis or grout medic stl.com For this Tuesday afternoon, February 27th, People Magazine lists music at the intersection as one of 2024's top festivals. St. Louis Music Festival is September 14th through 15th in Grand Center and will feature Black Pumas, Chaka Khan, Big Boy, plus many more. The festival is in its fourth year and is produced by the Cranesburg Arts Foundation. Other festivals on the list include Coachella, Bonnaroo, uh, New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival, among others. Now, the People piece is dated February 21st, which is before Evolution Festival announced its lineup yesterday. But still, pretty darn cool to be on the list of some of the best festivals this year. And I saw a list of best festivals, and I was I got to jump on here and see if Evolution is on there. But I think, like you said, it's too early. We just got the lineup yesterday. Yeah. So... Uh, did you see this? The Albert Einstein College of Medicine in New York got a billion, one billion dollar Crazy, isn't it? donation from a former faculty member, and they will now be able to offer free tuition after this gift. Dr. Ruth Gottsman, 93 years old, she spent 55 years as the chair of the school's board. Her husband just so happened to be a longtime friend of Warren Buffett and an early investor of Berkshire Hathaway. They were worth $3 billion at his death, and she obviously inherited that and donated a billion dollars to the school. Now, I've never heard of Albert Einstein College of Medicine. It's in the Bronx, I believe. I think so. It's in the Bronx. Non-sectarian, private, not-for-profit med school. Did you see the video of her telling all the students? Did they all? Oh, went crazy. And I think it's even going back a little bit, and she's going to cover recent grads or at least a piece of it. Because can you imagine if you just graduated? And be like, wait a minute, what? (laughs) Uh, I know NYU was able to do this to if you were involved in a certain area of medicine, like family medicine, or maybe uh, do they call it country medicine? Practicing medicine, 
kind of rural medicine. I don't think it's called country medicine. Rural medicine. Uh, They were going to pay for your med school. So uh, maybe if you're lucky enough to get accepted into the Albert Einstein College of Medicine, you get to go for free now. Wendy's plans to add surge pricing similar to Uber. Uh, we got I, we got to talk a lot more about this. The fast food chain will test out a new form of dynamic pricing at its restaurants next year, 2025, changing how much various items cost based on time of day and demand. The president and CEO said the company would spend around $20 million over the next two years to establish digital menu boards that will allow restaurants to change prices on the fly. Now, while specific details about the plan are limited, the model appears to be similar to the surge pricing used by Uber and Lyft during peak hours or at locations where the apps are used frequency, like an airport. Prices will increase for customers trying to get a ride. It's unclear whether the dynamic pricing model would allow costs to dip below the current static prices if demand was low at a particular time or if there would be a floor. It's also unclear if there would be a cap on the surge pricing. But I, I feel like this is going to be a uh, a bomb. I mean, if you know there's a particular time of day that more people are going to go, then you just go to McDonald's. Or Taco Bell or Burger King. Why would you go to Wendy's during the rush hour? I hate dynamic pricing. And they always, well, look how cheap the tickets are to uh, a Wednesday afternoon baseball game. Well, yeah, because nobody wants to go to that game. But the ones that people do want to go to, now you jack the price up on us. Are you going to charge me more for my Baconator uh-huh. just because I showed up at lunchtime? Give me a break, Wendy's. I don't think I've ever <laughs> been so mad at Wendy's. <laughs> I don't think I've ever said, give me a break, Wendy's. <laughs> Ryanair, which I did not realize this, but is Europe's biggest airline by passenger numbers. What's it called again? Ryanair. Like- R-Y-A-N? I think it's out of Ireland. Okay. And they, I think that they are like a discount airline, like in the way that Southwest is more of a, doesn't okay. Southwest say that they're a discount airline? I don't know that they, I thought it was like Spirit Air was but a discount. Oh, I, yeah, but they're not nearly as discount as Spirit. No, but I, is Frontier. Southwest or they just try to be customer friendly? I don't know if they call them a discount. Do they, Connor? I thought they called themselves a discount airline. I'm not really sure. I mean, they're Southwest. not as nearly as discounted as Spirit and Frontier. Right. And right. Like, and then Spirit and Frontier came in, and they're like, we're even more discountier. I'm going to check. I'm going to assume I, they don't call I, themselves a discount. I don't think they discount. do either. I think they are a discount. Well, I think Ryanair is the equivalent of Southwest. They're the biggest airline by passenger numbers in Europe. They say that because of this mess... They might have to raise their prices as much as 10% come summer because they were expecting 57 new Boeing planes this spring. And if they don't get them all, they're going to have to cancel some routes and raise prices on others. The CEO said, we don't really know how many aircraft we're going to get from Boeing at this point. Mm. They uh, Boeing has taken everything back in-house and is making sure that... All the bolts are included, uh. and everything's tightened up, so it has delayed delivery of some airlines, uh, some airplanes, to certain airlines, and uh, for good reason. 
but Ryanair saying that they might have to raise prices because of the whole Boeing mess, which is not great for us. We want to no. see Boeing succeed. No, I agree. I want to see. I want to see people succeed here in St. Louis, and sometimes that starts at you know the very bottom. I'm talking about kindergarten, first grade, and I think that's really what Confluence Academies recognizes because Confluence Academies is a charter school and it's a group of you know schools in an urban setting, a collaborative network, if you will. And what they really do is they try to provide the highest quality pre-collegiate education to students pre-K all the way through high school. Now, what's really cool, and you can take a tour of any of those schools at any time, but they also kind of branch out a little bit and they are doing Confluence Academy's Grand Center Arts Camp where kids who are really into the arts and that could be dance or theater or music or painting. If your kid or grandchild is really into that, then this is the camp they need to sign up for because they're going to receive hands-on learning from industry professionals in all of those areas, instrumental and vocal music, theater, dance, and visual arts. The camp runs from July 8th through July 19th, and it's open to all students, students in all districts entering fifth grade through 12th grade. You can do one week. They can do two weeks. And the best part, because if you have signed your kid up for a camp, you know that they can be pricey, not Confluence Academy's Grand Center Arts Camp. It's just a small fee of $45, and that's for class materials. So enrollment is happening now through July 5th, but it will fill up. So get your kids signed up. You can enroll today. Learn more. GrandCenterArtsAcademy.org. In case you didn't realize it, this is a leap year. But what does that mean? Alexander Boxer is a data scientist and author of A Scheme of Heaven, The History of Astrology and the Search for Our Destiny in Data. And he joins us with his thoughts. So it's more than just an extra day. There is actually some kind of you know, plan with adding this day. Definitely. If you were to sit outside in your backyard and measure where the sun crosses due south every day and track that for a year, you would realize that it takes a little bit more than 365 days for it to come back to the same spot in the sky. So the natural orbit of the Earth around the sun isn't a perfect number of days. And so the leap year is our little calendar hack to account for that. Why February? (laughs) Yeah, so the leap year as we know it was instituted way back when by, by none other than Julius Caesar and uh, he was trying to fix a very broken Roman calendar, and, and uh, February was kind of their rump month at the end of the year. Their original calendar started in March, and so uh, February was, was kind of an unlucky month where uh, a lot of unlucky things happened, and leap years were uh, even back then considered, or any sort of calendar change was considered unlucky. So they, they shoved it into February. It's interesting to think, though, that it didn't used to be February 29th. They repeated February 24th twice. What? 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 (laughs) When did it change? And they decided just to add another day. Uh, Well, so they always added another day. But uh, it used to be that we used to, at least the Romans and and a lot of the Middle Ages that followed, had a very, very strange way of numbering the days. They didn't just number them one through 
28 or 29, they would count down from the beginning of the next month. And so uh, there was a day, uh, it was called the uh, anti-DMB sextum of the, of the 1st of March. So I don't know if you've ever heard the phrase, leap years are sometimes called bisextile years, because you had a twice sixth day before the 1st of March, a very strange way of counting. Uh, at some point, people uh, gave, gave that up and just started counting 1 through 28 and just added 29. That, 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 actually, that change actually didn't happen until kind of later in the, the 1700s is when it was formalized. So what calendar are we using now? You know, Julian calendar, Gregorian calendar, Mayan calendar. Uh, I'm sure they have calendars that are over in the Far East that we've never even heard of. What calendar are we on today? Well, I love calendars. I encourage you to use as many calendars as you want. But the civil world that we live in legally uses the Gregorian calendar. And that's uh, Julian calendar is named after Julius Caesar. The Gregorian calendar is named after uh, Pope Gregory the 13th in the, in the Renaissance. So the reason that we had to switch calendars is that, as I mentioned, the year is not exactly 365 days. It's more like 365 and a quarter, which is where you get one leap year every four years. But it turns out that that's 11 minutes too long. Now, that, is, that doesn't seem like a big deal, but after a couple thousand years or about 1,500 years, that started to add up. So they uh, came up with a different formula, which is the one we use today, where instead of having one leap year every four years, or in other words, 100 leap years every 400 years, they knocked three out. We have 97 leap years every 400 years. That brings our average calendar year uh, closer to the true solar year that you could go out in your backyard and if you were careful measure. About 365 days, five hours, uh, and uh, 49 minutes. Alexander, what would really happen if we just said, forget it, we're not going to do this leap year thing anymore? Yes, yeah, so we don't have to, we don't have to imagine too much. Uh, calendars used, there, there are famous calendars, the ancient Egyptian calendar at uh, 365 days, that was it, no leap years. But what that means is that holidays that you put on a certain day of a month, let's say Christmas uh, or, or even a harvest holiday like Thanksgiving, would slowly wander through the year. If you think about just having uh, a leap year every four years, that meant if you were to live 80 years, that holiday would wander about uh, 20 days, so most of a month. So even in an individual lifetime, you would see – Winter seasons, winter holidays start to move towards the spring, and spring holidays start to move oh. uh, towards the winter. So, so how long would it actually take for us if we cut out the uh, the leap year for Christmas Day in St. Louis, which is a winter holiday, to be celebrated with eighty degrees? Well, notwithstanding. <laughs> Uh, this week's weather, but to be celebrated, which is traditionally something in the summer. Yeah, well, uh, just off the top of my head, you know, it'd be about 20, 20 days every, you know, a month every 120 years or so. And so, um, yeah, you, you, know, you go about three months, you take a couple hundred years. So we wouldn't have to worry about it, but our uh, our grandkids, grandkids might might be upset with us. Hmm. What drew you to this topic? Yeah, so I've always been fascinated by by science and history. So I wrote a uh, this book, A Scheme of Heaven, which is a curious skeptics. I'm going to emphasize skeptics 
history of astrology as actually a very important part of the history of science. I myself am a uh, PhD in physics from MIT and work as a data scientist and was fascinated by this question of how we look at data to explain the world and realized that ancient astronomy, astrology, was really very similar to modern data science today. And in order to tell that story, it's really a, a tremendous story of how we look at the stars, how we tell time, and the calendar is a, a huge part of that history. And it's one reason why I love leap years, because it's such a strange, obvious hack in our calendar. But if you look deeply at it, almost the whole history of science unfolds before you. It tells this great, great story about how our calendar was made. Are people all across the world actually taking part in a leap year? To the best of my knowledge, the Gregorian calendar is internationally recognized as, a, as an international civil calendar. But many calendars that people do use, whether for religious reasons or otherwise, do not recognize this leap year and have their own. They march to their own rhythm. Okay, what about leap year babies? I know my sister was almost one. She was born on March 1st. What if you're born on February 29th? When do you get your driver's license if it isn't a leap year? I actually have a cousin who was born on February 29th, and she she chooses when to celebrate her birthday. Sometimes she celebrates it on the 28th. Sometimes she celebrates on the 1st. Um, just a fun thing you get to do when you're a leap year baby. Yeah, but not when you're 21. You're waiting for that first drink. Do you have to wait for March 1st? How does the government (laughs) deal with this? Uh, You know, that's actually a fascinating question, and I I do not know. I do Mm. not know if they put you on the 28th or the 1st. So when it comes to the Gregorian calendar, uh, business-wise, I see uh, internationally, international business-wise, it would make sense. But when did the whole world decide, to say, all right, we'll adopt this calendar that's named after a Catholic pope? That was actually a, a fascinating story because this calendar came about during the scientific revolution and also the, the Protestant Reformation when uh, many countries, Britain notably, wanted to do with the Catholic Church. And so all of the countries accepted it at different times, uh, largely out of spite. So, in fact, Britain and its colonies, notably America, didn't switch over to the Gregorian calendar until the mid-1700s, 1752, uh, almost 200 years after the Catholic countries had. So you have this tremendous mismatch in how different countries are even telling time. So they didn't like each other to begin with, and they can't even agree on what day it is. But But how did Japan and China come to adopt this calendar uh, other countries in Africa that, uh, you know, don't celebrate. You know, I can understand how South America would get it, just colonized by uh, a bunch of of Catholic and Christian uh, explorers and everything. But how did some of the other countries come to adopt it? Yeah, I think the story is, you know, largely in the, in the 20th century, a lot of countries, you know, as uh, – International organizations came to be adopted as a civil calendar. That doesn't mean that these countries don't have their own uh, their own special calendars. Uh, I think it's interesting that we talk about the adoption of the Gregorian calendar in the Eastern Orthodox 
countries like Russia and, and Serbia, and they still to this day will celebrate Easter and Christmas on different days because they still use the Julian calendar for those religious holidays. And the when the when the Russian Revolution happened in 1917, it's of course in Russia known as the October Revolution. But in the Western part of Europe, it was uh, already November. So yes, many of these changes happen very late. But but you, your point about business is 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 a compelling one that really sort of in with the United Nations and a lot of these international organizations, the Gregorian calendar became the universally adopted civil calendar. I've got uh, another question here, and I'll just ask Captain Paul to hang on real quickly. A professor at Johns Hopkins University is proposing a new calendar. Are you familiar with this one? Well, I know that these uh, people have been tried and continually tried to propose calendars to get rid of the leap year. Yes. And what? how would they be able to do that? Uh, badly is how I would say. Oh, okay. So, <laughs> The, the truth is, is that a calendar is trying to do many things at the same time, and you can't do them all at once. You, a calendar is fundamentally a compromise. It's one reason why I like our current calendar, because it embodies that this, it's a very human construction, that here we are really trying to understand the world, but the universe itself does not fit into our pretty clean notions of time. Mm. It would, as much as it would be nice to have an even number of days, in the, Earth's tra- in the Earth's orbit around the sun, it's just not the case. And it's a nice reminder that it's not the case. Now, from many computational points of view, in particular astronomy, it would be wonderful to have a calendar without leap years because leap years just make things complicated when I want to know how many days ago something happened 20 years ago. <laughs> but there are other calendars that this purpose. Astronomers use a special type of dating system that gets around this problem. But from a civil point of view, I think we're stuck with our calendar because, yes, you can make a calendar that doesn't have some of these hiccups, but at the expense of what? Now you're throwing out essentially essentially all of our tradition, all of our history. Well, very interesting. Alexander Boxer, thank you so much for joining us and sorting through it. <laughs> Trying my best here. You Have did a, a great wonderful job. Wonderful and happy leap day. Yeah. All right, I love it. Uh, I don't know that anybody's ever said happy leap day. This new proposed calendar, I'm still trying to figure out how it works, but here's one of the quirks of it. The 30, why do some months have 30 days and others have 31? Well, 31s would be gone for good. So if you have a birthday on the 31st or, you know, you want to celebrate Halloween. Mm-hmm. Now you have to celebrate it on the 30th, and every day, every date, I should say, would fall on the same day every year. So if you were born on a Tuesday, you celebrate your birthday on a Tuesday every year. Well, I'm kind of with Alexander. I like yeah. it kind of moving around a little bit. Somebody said, my birthday is February 29th, 1952. Hence, I will be 18 this year. Oh, I've you had could, fun You could buy scratchers. So That's right. Happy birthday. You know, we were talking about how it's adopted internationally. And I was watching the Daily Show with Jon Stewart last night, and he had a couple of interesting guests on. But they were talking about how do you become wiser? How do you kind of bridge the gaps between people of different faiths and maybe beliefs? And 
their first answer, both of these gentlemen, travel. You get to experience so many things when you travel to another area. It is not always just about sticking your toes in the sand and resting and relaxation. Relaxation. You really get to experience cultures and the colors. And I think, at least for me, when I was talking to Pat Blassie about all of these incredible places that she's been, she always reiterated that travel really does you know, bring people together. And not only that, it's once you're back here and you're sitting there having your coffee and you're watching the news, and I do this all the time, I, we were there. We were right there. It's one of the many things that I now love about travel. Wherever it is you want to go, Altair Traveling Cruises can help you plan a fantastic getaway. Or if you want it to be packed I mean, minute to minute, Altair Traveling Cruises can help with that. If you want it to be adventurous, if you want it to be relaxing, if you want it to be romantic, if you want it to be family friendly and go and take the kids, you know, to all kinds of fun destinations, Altair Traveling Cruises, they can do it all. They can even do business trips if uh, that's what you are looking for. AltairTravel.com. You can also call Altair Travel 314 968 9600. saw this come out the other day. We're talking about money and how things have changed. 1962, cost of living, a new house. You want to take a guess? Well, this ought to be, this ought to be dumb. Mm-hmm. Uh, a new house in 1962. Yep. Uh, $30,000. $12,550. But you got to put that in perspective because the average income... And I remember talking to my mom about her first teaching job, and pretty sure it was less than this five thousand five hundred and fifty six dollars per year it's are you sixty two is sixty one years ago that is not that long ago so a new car two thousand nine hundred and twenty four dollars i even just when I was in college, early 2000s, mm-hmm. 2003, let's just say, my rent was 150 bucks. Yeah. And I split it with three guys. You split $150? That wasn't well, even... Well, that was my share. I was going to say, yeah. That was my share. Because in 62, it was $110. Was what, rent? Rent. Gosh. Mm. Yeah. A movie ticket was a buck. Gas was 20 cents per gallon, and a postage stamp was 12 cents. Four. Four cents. Yeah. For a stamp. And then we've talked a lot about how expensive groceries have gotten. Ground coffee, 85 cents per pound. Bacon, 69 cents. Eggs, 32 cents per dozen. This kind of crazy. 1962 almost seems too long ago. You know? 60, 60 years ago? Yeah. I mean, 62 years ago? I'd like to see a list of what things were in the 90s. Well, well it'll be more expensive you, than that. But 
our listeners are. No, I know. I know. They live this right here. Do you still buy stamps? I do. Like you have rolls of stamps I at do. home? Yes. My wife will get them from time to time. Really? Forever stamps. The forever stamps. The forever yeah. stamps. You got to go with the forever you stamps. You got to save the six cents when they raise the prices in yeah, six gonna, well, years. Yeah, I'm going to go out and buy a whole roll <laughs> of six stamps. Yeah. Like hmm. what do you do if you have to uh, file your, like with the the city or the county, and you have to do like the assessor? Do you do that online, or you send that in with a stamp? I think they've got it online now. But I'm, that's tried. what I'm asking. We try to do everything online. See, I don't. I'm, I meld it in. Do you still mail, like, your bills in? Depends on which ones. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. Really? We've got a car loan with a credit union somewhere in, in South County. Yeah. And they don't have an online kind of way to do pay it. it. So we have to mail that in. Yeah. I used to have a landlord that would only take the rent in a check, physical check, which is why I have checks. The that's only reason. Him. That's the only reason. Huh. I don't use them anymore because I don't live there. Hmm. I was thinking with that list, my grandparents' house in Ferguson, they lived right down the street from John and James. And they, I guess my mom was born in that house. So let's just say they bought it in 1950. For twelve thousand dollars, I don't know if it sold for over a hundred thousand dollars when when they sold it after she passed away. But what year are we talking about? Twenty ten. I mean, it's a little two bedroom. But I bought my first house in probably what two thousand. Where was it? In St. Louis Hills, and it was. Right around like 106. I mean, that it, things have changed in Man, that amount of time. How much would that house be right now? Well, it, I sold it even after that for one, I think. So, I mean, I did well on that house. If what's you, the address? <laughs> <laughs> I got I to gotta look this up. 6410 Sutherland. Yeah, okay. But <laughs> I got to look this up. It's interesting. It's it's and it's interesting again how quickly time moves on. Coming up, uh, speaking of another thing that is in the rearview mirror, Macy's set to close 150 stores as it shrinks. I mean that used to be the store. So we'll talk to Alex Stone about that coming up in just a couple minutes. Macy says it will be closing 150 more stores over the next three years, including 50 by the end of this year. Alex Stone, ABC News correspondent in L.A., joins us with that story. I mean, how many stores are left? I feel like they've been disappearing for a while. Yeah, they did um, a closing around of them in the the last couple of years as well. So it'll be 150 uh, stores, and then that's going to leave, once they get done with those, 350 in the the Macy's portfolio. Um, So they they still have quite a few, but it's going to be a lot smaller than than it was. And the the thing with all of this is JCPenney and even Marcus, they, they declared bankruptcy even before the pandemic. And then the pandemic obviously hit department stores uh, really hard. But Macy's is not alone. That, that who goes shopping at a department store very often anymore? That you do it online, and it's so easy to, to return things online. And that uh, that that it just the the era of going to the mall, 
going to the big department store, unless you got to go buy a wedding gift or you really need to try on shoes or something like that. For most people, it just does not go on any longer. And today, the, the CEO of Macy's Tony Springs, uh, uh, he told investor, investors today this. By the end of 2026, we plan to close approximately 150 underproductive Macy's locations and reprioritize investments in our roughly 350 remaining locations, inclusive of full-line furniture and current off-mall doors. And they, they say that they pulled shoppers at Macy's who have told them that they want more service and less cluttered stores, so service being the, the one thing that online they have a harder time giving you. So Macy's says they're going to focus on shoe sales, and you can go and try on shoes. Not one person running the back, getting a bunch of shoes, handing them out to people who are waiting, really having one-on-one more salespeople in fitting areas to give you advice on what you should wear, what the colors are right now, what's in. They want to put more money into high-end stores. They own Bloomingdale's and Blue Mercury, a luxury cosmetics company. They want to open up more of those, close Macy's, but open up more of those. And he said, a whole new chapter is designed to return Macy's Inc. to enterprise growth unlock shareholder value, and better serve our customers. Yes, yeah, so they're calling it a bold new chapter as we're moving forward. They posted a $71 million quarterly loss today, and they, like many stores, are trying to avoid shutting down as a, a chain. The other thing they said is they got to do a better job. That When you go online, you can choose you know, almost endless sizes and colors and whatnot, but you go into a store and you say, excuse me, sir, do you have this You know, in a 32 waist? And they well, let me go check in the back. No, sorry, we're going to have to order it for you then why didn't you just buy it online? Right. Because they've got to have everything there. So you walk in, that you get what you want, whether then and styles for 20-year-olds to 70-year-olds, every color, every style, he put it this the way. The ability to kind of look at your assortment as the customer will see it, make sure that you're serving a multi-generational customer with a variety of price points, understanding where brand is important, where price is important, and where style may be important. And sometimes it's all three. And when they're battling online, they got to be able to, to serve in that same way. And, uh, yeah, they just rejected a $6 billion takeover bid at Macy's. They're dealing with a proxy fight to get new directors on the Macy's board. So there is a fight underway to keep Macy's alive, to keep it from changing substantially with these activist investors. And so there's a lot going on. But, uh, but today they said they feel like if they close these stores, focus more on customer service, focus more on the high end on Bloomingdale's, that, that they'll be able to turn things around. So even the stores that they're going to keep, are they going to make that a smaller footprint? It, not necessarily. He says they are going to update them, that they badly, some of those stores badly need to be uh, renovated that, so you don't walk in and it feels like you're in 1990 yeah, in an old department store with the same smells and the same look. So he said they will be updating them. Some may get smaller. I would assume that some are going to consolidate. I, the town that I grew up in in Northern California, Santa Rosa, is not a very big city, but they've got two Macy's in town still after all of the closings that have gone on. Hmm. One focuses more on furniture. One focuses more on clothing. I would assume that those would come together if they exist after this at all. Um, so they've got a lot they can do. We don't know the stores that are going to close yet. They have not put out a list. The only one we know is because city leaders have uh, confirmed it. Big uh, Union Square store in San Francisco, which was one of their flagship stores, you know, kind of think of like New York City, Christmas time, but in San Francisco and Union Square. But people just aren't shopping there in downtown San Francisco any longer. And it is a full city block. It's a building that goes back to the 1940s, really historic and just has a lot of charm and, and nostalgia to it for many people, but that's going to be going away. 
Alex, this is more editorializing, but when Macy's moved to town, it used to be the famous bar. And I guess I just assumed, oh, Macy's, New York City, this is something fancy. And then I walk in and, oh, nothing's different. It's the same old, same old. Uh, so maybe if they came in and they updated the stores and made them look nicer and, and fresher, that might work for me. But when I go into the Macy's, I just see any department store that you could find anywhere in America. There's nothing special about it to me. Yeah, and you typically have to track down somebody if you want to actually check out. That Many of the, the counters don't have anybody. They, they say they got to work on all that. The other thing they got to figure out is a lot of – Folks are now, maybe they could afford to shop at Macy's, but they buy at Target or they buy at Old Navy and, you know, get something for 15 bucks, even if you have to replace it more often, that, that you get fresher things that, that you want for less money, that they realize that in the economy that the people have figured out ways to, to get what they want for not spending the amount of money that, that you would spend at Macy's. So while they're going to go on the nicer brands like Bloomingdale's to get nicer things, they also realize that the Macy's stores that they got to have some things that, that maybe will appeal to, to customers who don't want to be spending as much. And let's be honest, when you buy online, a lot of times it's easier to return things right. online than it is to go back to the mall and go back to the store where you just go drop it off at you know Staples or the, the UPS store or you know, any number of places where you can just uh, get rid of it that way. So there, there's a lot of hurdles that, that in the, the world that we live in now. Macy says they think they can right the ship, but is it too little too late? Time will tell. And we saw one of those activist investors take over Sears and what happened there, sold off everything, kind of tanked the place on purpose because the real estate that Sears was sitting on top of, the stores themselves, was worth more sold off than it was as a Sears store. So we'll see what happens with the Macy's. Alex Stone, ABC News, thanks so much. You got it. Thanks, guys. You know what? place that does things right and has been doing things right for quite a while that's our local grocery store Deerberg's I was in there today to grab lunch I often grab lunch because I love all of the pre-made stuff the grilled chicken I don't have to do anything I can pick that up I can pick up a, a side of you know steamed veggies but especially uh, during Lent they have so many favorites if you don't have time to swing by one of the fish fries you can do your own Linton fish fry, thanks to Deerberg's. I mean, fish fry Fridays from the Deerberg's kitchen. That is where you're going to find so many choices. They've got fried catfish, cod, smoked salmon, shrimp, and more. There's over 10 varieties of hot case items in their deli. And then you can choose an entree and add two scratch made sides and make it your lunch or dinner. Here's the thing that people don't often uh, realize. You can also, if, and I do think some people are kind of intimidated by fish, if you don't want to cook it yourself because you're nervous about it, Deerberg's will bake or steam your seafood free while you do the rest of your shopping. You just pick your favorite fish, pick from over a dozen seasonings, and your dinner is done by the time you are ready to check out. It's simple, delicious, and ready in minutes. And if you ask me, it doesn't get any better than that. So if you are celebrating Lent, Fish Fry Fridays during Lent needs to come from Deerberg's Kitchen. They do it well, and they uh, do it deliciously. Coming up, Martin Kilcoin will join us to talk a little sports. So I hope you'll hang out with us here for another hour on the Big 550 KTRS. 
And now, and now the, the top, top five at five. five. News five. from around the room. Well, Heidi, there is a debate that goes on with pizza here in this country. Mm-hmm. And do you know what I'm talking about? It is the, the most vocal and forceful of all the pizza debates. And it's about... Crust? No, no it's not about crust. Connor, what is, what is the big pizza debate in this country? Is it toppings? Yeah. Well, I thought oh. it was going to be, you know... What topping? Anchovies? Reheated. Pineapple. Oh. oh, okay. Oh, pineapple. Yeah. And the question is, do you pineapple your pizza? You know what? This is going to be a bit silly. Mm-hmm. I don't mind the flavor of pineapple on it, but I don't want the texture of pineapple. So if it's on there, I'm okay. I'll pick it off because I like kind of the sweet juices from it. Okay. But I don't necessarily want the pineapple chunk. I wonder if we could get like pineapple juice in a spray bottle. And this. And when Did Heidi's it? pizza come out, you just... Maybe. What's weird is I'm kind of the exact opposite. I don't like the sweetness, but like... You don't so mind the texture. The texture. Yeah, so if it's juicy, like if it's actually really sweet, I, 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 won't, I won't eat it. Okay. People are weighing in on the Woods Basement Systems text line. Provel? No, not Provel. Pineapple? Yes, emphatically with a big exclamation point. I'm in that camp. Let's put pineapple on my pizza. Who cares? I love it. I'll that is so it. interesting since you hate mushrooms. I know. I know. Nobody I gets just pineapple, right, though? No. no. It's coming with no. bacon and jalapenos. Canadian and bacon and Canadian pineapple, bacon, right? you got to uh, have the sweet and the salty. Well, I tell you what. Canadian bacon, pineapple, jalapenos, mm. and regular bacon. Okay. And you know, Now the pizza's getting pretty heavy here. Right. But now imagine if it didn't have pineapple. Well, now you got to fold it. It's still good. It's yeah. still good. <laughs> but it's just as good with pineapple. Just imagine this debate raging in Italy specifically Naples, who acts like they are the home of pizza. Well, it's not our pizza. It's a separate kind of pizza. So I don't think you can compare the two. There's a chef at Pizzeria Sorbillo. Sorbillo. And uh, this is an international chef now at this point. He's opened up 21 of these pizza shops, uh, including Miami and New York. So if you want to try his pizzas. Famed chef. Uh, Anthony Bourdain Mm -hmm. would go to his restaurant when he was in Naples. This is the Neapolitan pizza, and he put pineapple on it just the other day. People flipped out. I bet they did. UNESCO. They are trying to get UNESCO to declare Italian cuisine a piece of intangible cultural heritage because they are very strict when it comes to their food and they are the home of the best food in the world. Now that this guy has put pizza or pineapple on a pizza, they are besides themselves. <clears throat> Here's the pizza. Tell me if you like it. Smoked provola and two regional cheeses finished with twice cooked caramelized pineapple. Again, no, I don't want no the meat. pineapple. So no, meat. no meat on this one. Yeah, I don't know. Somebody don't says know just pineapple, that. no cheese. No cheese. That's No cheese. So it's just like tomato bread with pineapple. That's bruschetta, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Okay. Mm, that does sound good. Yeah. So the question is, is this guy doing this as a publicity stunt? He says no. He actually thinks that you can make pizza with other products that don't necessarily have to be cheese, basil, and tomatoes. 
And he's pointing out the fact that Italians think that they invented pizza. However, the tomato right. Didn't, from the not, Americas. It's not native to Europe. I mean, before uh, 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. Before all of these trips across the Atlantic to the New World, there was no such thing as tomato sauce. I think potatoes, too. Potatoes. If I'm remembering correctly. Also mm. imported from America, also mentioned in this story. So the margarita pizza that they are eating, defined by the tomato, which comes from America. So this chef is saying, look, we started by using outside ingredients on our pizza. Why not keep it going? Pineapple all around. Uh, you remember my cricket story from yesterday? Yes. Uh, it was Italy that wanted to ban crickets as food uh, I, because they said it was, did win against Italian cuisine heritage. I agree with them. <laughs> I uh, agree with them. It didn't come to pass, however, because uh, the the EU allowed it. And I, I guess there's some kind of... Oh, well, they're part of the it's, EU. It's difficult to right. not allow something that the EU allows. So they end right. up, they're, they're forced to now. So maybe they'll be the same way with tomatoes or pineapples. They say in this article that Italians hold sacred the pizza, pasta, and ice cream. I guess they're gelato. Mm, gelato is so good. Yeah. But I, I had somebody tell me that in Italy, is it is it fettuccine Alfredo? You go to a restaurant and say, I'll take some fettuccine Alfredo. They don't even know what you're talking about. It's just that's that must be an American thing. How many of those things do you think that we've... Right? Dare I say ruined? Or is it just... I like to say innovated. I love fettuccine Alfredo. I I do too. But I go to Canetto's and I get, you know, the double cannelloni with the Provel mm. on top. Some a real Italian is going to come here and well, say, yeah. what is this? The Provel ruins it. <laughs> yeah. no, I think yeah. it. Oh, I think it makes it so good. Canetto's, by the way. I need to go. I haven't been in a while. It's been a long time. For mm. we went to Mama's though over the weekend. That place oh, you was did? packed at one thirty on a Saturday. What'd you get? I got seafood, lobster, ravioli. Mm. This it article, was in a white, creamy sauce. This too. article says that in Italy, seafood cannot have cheese on it. It has to have what? Just like really? white Just, wine, butter, and yeah, no, not no even a little parm, huh? I don't know where they stand on a little parm. Okay. <laughs> but no cheese on, on seafood. The Gateway Arch drew more than 2.4 million visitors last year, marking the fourth straight year of an increase in tourism and also beating some pre-pandemic totals. Jeremy Sweat, the superintendent of Gateway Arch National Park, said we are pleased to see such a strong visitation in 2023. The National Park Service is looking forward to continued collaboration with our park partners to create high-quality visitor experiences in 2024 as we prepare to the reopening of the old courthouse in 2025, which will further expand opportunities for park services. So I guess last year the National Park Service adopted a more precise method to estimate visitors at the Gateway Arch National Grounds. You know, the methodology uses location-based mobile device data to track visitors' movement throughout the park. This allows the park to have a more accurate estimate of just the people on the park grounds who don't actually enter the Gateway Arch Visitor Center. Because I know so many people who go down to the grounds and they're looking up at the arch or they're walking around, but they never actually... They get counted. Yeah, they don't go in they don't go up they don't go to the museum so this is kind of cool now man i have not been in 
since. They redid it? Yeah. Pretty cool. Archificials credit improvements through the City Arch River Project, new community events, and additional sports events like City SC and Battlehawks for the rise in tourism. So I love hearing that kind of story. And the lid over the top of the highway is perfect. Yeah, because you don't have to worry about it. Yeah. Just walk on the down The lid. There. Yeah, they they uh, the new arch grounds, they put a lid over the top of the highway, and there's no... As far as I know, there's no automobile traffic between really? the courthouse and the arch. You can just straight shot. I didn't realize that. Before, there used to be cars getting off the exit there and all that stuff. Hmm. Yep. I think okay. they, they litted it up. So litted it up. Uh, all right. Do you remember uh, a couple months ago I had this story about uh, the parrots at the British Zoo that had picked up swear swearing oh, and yeah. ex- expletives from people and they were constantly saying it? And they had a plan to fix this. They were going to reintroduce these. There was about eight birds into the the whole flock, and they hoped that they would learn good behavior from the rest of the flock and not the reverse where the rest of the flock. Now the rest of the flock is saying curse words. Well, no. <laughs> it's been a couple months, but they say they're seeing the bad-behaved parrots learn good. Uh, you know, they're dropping their, their bad habits and picking up good words, even though they say, People come up to the birds every day and start yelling curse words at the birds, hoping they will, will repeat them uh, because they also put up a bunch of signs that said, don't swear at the birds, which, of course, means that everyone's going to go up and start swearing at the birds. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, but they say right now, a couple months into it, that they have may, may mostly dropped the expletives that they would say over and over again, although they say they've also picked up other things. They say that because they live in a city, they do a lot of, like, city sounds, car alarms, that kind of stuff. <laughs> and they also – Exactly. And they also say one of them has started singing, we wish you a Merry Christmas, over and over and over <laughs> again. It must have picked it up during the holiday season. Uh, but now it's February, and they say that they still sing it. They're quite oh tired of gosh. hearing it. Well, but it's funny how that works, right? You know, they they repeat sounds. They say they live in the city. They hear – Repeat the sounds that they hear. So. Oop, oop, yeah. <laughs> what is that? Is that remember the the viper? Your viper is now armed. Remember that? That was like the first aftermarket um, car alarm. Oh, do you remember that? Now that you mention it, right? yes. And I think, who is it? Uh, there's some guy in Congress, Isom, Daryl Isom, mm. um, started the Viper. And he's like a almost a billionaire now, and now he's a congressman. I have no idea what the Viper is. Oh, it was the, it was the first aftermarket auto So, like, you'd install the yeah, car. you'd go to, like, hi fi fo fum and mm-hmm. they'd put it in your car or something. Which also doesn't exist anymore. Which does right? not exist. <laughs> <laughs> it does not exist anymore. Hi-fi, boom, boom, fo-fum, boom, boom. Hi-fi, fo-fum, exclamation point. Is that what the commercial was like? Yep. That was the commercial. They had one, uh, I want to say there was one on Hanley in Maryland Heights. Yes. Or, uh, in uh, Richmond Heights. Richmond Heights, yeah. Uh, okay, there was a woman who was in a car accident in 2017 and she claims it left her with debilitating pain, so much so that she couldn't even lift groceries, do chores, or play with her two children. She sued the insurance company, 
saying that she could not work for over five years and a judge ruled that she could get an $820,000 settlement, $820,000, almost a million. He had ruled that she was going to get it? That she was going to get it. However, a picture was dug up a year after the trial took place. So she made all these claims. Uh-huh. A picture was dug up of her at an annual Christmas tree tossing competition. Oh, boy. This is over in Ireland. Not only was the picture of her throwing an old Christmas tree as part of this competition celebration. I guess she thought that since it was already the judge had ruled, he couldn't go back on it. She won the competition. Oh, she really was... (laughs) It's based it. based on an old lumberjack competition takes place after Christmas. The winner is the person who throws it the longest distance. A second picture was published showing her smiling as she holds her certificate declaring her the champion. What does she win? I hope it's nine hundred thousand dollars. No, it's not. <laughs> I can't imagine it could possibly be that. <laughs> the judge who presided over the case said she had no choice but to dismiss the claim because of the very graphic picture evidence of her throwing the Christmas tree, which was at odds with the medical evidence she provided in the case. She is being forced to give the money back. Wow. Do you remember like, uh, you know, 2020 would show these videos of people who claim that they were, what, disabled, and then they would catch up with them while they were out, you know, cutting down trees. Kind of like to catch a predator, only Yeah, only for insurance, insurance scams. scams. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, how about this? This is a, a great story, and it comes from a hospital in Lee Summit, Missouri. A Missouri couple was set to celebrate their dream wedding two days after Valentine's Day when another pretty big life moment unfolded unexpectedly. Sarah and Brandon Perry were going to get married right after Valentine's Day. And then on the morning of February 13th, her water broke. Not her pipes bursting at the house. She was pregnant and her water broke. So they thought they had plenty of time before the baby had arrived, but we know who's going to rule this roost. Realizing that she was in early labor, she went to St. Luke's where she told hospital staff that she and her fiancé were likely going to miss their impending wedding. The husband of another pregnant patient who just happened to be an ordained minister heard the story and said, hey, uh, I could do it before I have my baby. So their nurse comes back, told our nurse, is what the mom is saying. Our nurse came in and said, this sounds crazy, but if you'd like, we can have an ordained minister that's having a baby down the hall come and marry you too. What? <laughs> so Sarah and Brandon jumped at the idea, especially <laughs> since they had already secured their wedding license. It was in their truck, which was parked in the parking lot of the hospital. According to St. Luke's Facebook page, the Perry's care team 
sprung into action gathering supplies and making arrangements for their labor ward ceremony. Was she, was she actively yes. in labor? Yes. They decorated the couple's room. They created a veil and wedding dress, arranged a bouquet, and they even got a wedding cake from the cafeteria. Sarah's dress, by the way, was a white bed sheet, sheet created creatively transformed into a one-shoulder style gown. It looks, I didn't even realize it was a bed sheet. It looks so cute. She wore a veil made of medical gauze. <laughs> With her contractions increasing and their baby's arrival imminent, the ceremony was conducted in less than 30 minutes and even included a traditional bouquet toss with a group of nurses gathering for a chance to catch the flowers. Nine hours later, they got one epic wedding present, their son Oliver, who was born at 1.47 a.m. on Valentine's Day. It's the first child for the couple, the second for Sarah, who is also a mom to a five-year-old. She says he's officially the sweetest Valentine I've ever received, and we'll get to celebrate that for years to come, which is wonderful. After their memorable wedding, the couple does plan to say I do all over again at a destination wedding in either Mexico or the Caribbean later this year. But, again, talk about hospital staff jumping into action and going above and beyond what they're how about you know, that? Supposed to do. Depending on what you're looking to have done, when it comes to going above and beyond, there is a resource for you. If you're getting something done around the house, if you're wanting to redo the bathroom or the kitchen, or maybe you need the roof redone, well, if you're in the market for any of that, really you want someone trustworthy. You want a reliable business to work with, and you can turn to the Better Business Bureau to find just that. The BBB helps consumers, all of us in the area, find businesses that we can trust by providing valid reviews. They also do ratings and accreditation. So when you're using the BBB, you can really rest assured that the business that you choose has a proven track record of not just providing customer service, but excellent customer service and that the company also adheres to high ethical standards. I don't know about you, but I don't want to take a chance on a big project like that. I don't want to take a chance on a small project, but don't take any chances with your money. Trust the BBB to help you make informed decisions and look for the BB seal because it truly is the sign of a better business. And you can go to BBB.org. You can also call 314-645-3300 for more information. Leg of the Ozarks Marine Dealers Association St. Charles Boat Show. The only boat show in St. Louis market for 2024. It is this weekend, Heidi. Runs Thursday, February 29th through Sunday, March 3rd at the St. Charles Convention Center. And we've got your tickets. Ooh, I always love a good boat show. You can register for $1,000 worth of free gas at the show. New 2024 models on hand. It's a family event. Tickets are 14 bucks for adults, $8 for children, 6 to 12. Children under 5 are free. But for you, it could be free. We've got a four-pack giveaway to give away today, and we'll give away another four-pack tomorrow. And what are you, what are you saying, Connor? I'm saying that we're going to give them away to the fourth texture, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fourth texture. 
84126. Wait, that's what McGraw did. Eighth texter, 84126 on the Woods Basement Systems text line. If you're the eighth texter to text Boat Show to 84126, we'll give you a four-pack today. And we'll do it all again tomorrow. Another four-pack up for grabs. The Boat Shows this weekend. KTRS Sports with Martin Kilcoyne. Presented by Offenberg Hyundai and Triad Bank. Martin Kilcoyne, are you a boat guy? Is that a McGraw-related question? Are you going back to the old days when McGraw had the boat? Oh, I forgot about that. (laughs) Oh, we did a whole shtick on boat guy. McGraw was boat guy. He had... Not only the key that attaches to that, like, floaty device. Oh, really yeah. You got to have that. Nautical looking. And he would walk in and uh, chew in his gum, as he did. And he would say, so, uh, anyone going to the lake this weekend? <laughs> while, spinning, <laughs> while spinning that boat key around on his index finger to let everyone know, yeah, he's got a boat. Anybody else going to be down at the uh, lake? Oh, I love it. That's funny. I completely forgot that era where McGraw-Millhaven. I can't see it. I can't see it. It was only, it was, McGraw's had a lot of phases. It seemed to be a passing phase. And I think he learned a valuable lesson, which is, it's great to know somebody who owns a boat. (laughs) Not be the one that owns it. And then you show up, and you're like, is there anything I can do? You're like, no, no, just sit down. Well, you're, you're actually going to take it to the dock. It's easier if you just don't help. I'm like, okay, I can do that. Yes. Yeah. I, I am, I'm going to be a boat guy someday. I might be 70 in retirement, but I can't wait. Oh, I love boats. I love being on the water. Any, anybody who has a boat is a friend of mine. How about that? <laughs> All right. Well, if you're still around when I'm 70 and I buy my boat. I don't remember McGraw actually inviting any of us. I just yeah, remember him true. letting us know that he had the boat. I don't rem- I don't recall ever getting an invitation. <laughs> maybe he just had the keys. I yeah, don't know. who knows? Maybe he really didn't own a boat. That's true. Yeah. He, he just wouldn't bu- act he like he did. He had a bumper sticker that said, I got a boat down at the lake and you don't. But then he actually just had the keys. <laughs> yeah. Um, hey, we've got sports things to talk about. Heidi's got a whole list there. But before we get out of here, I, I don't want to forget this. Today, on this date, February 27th, 1996, Martin, do you remember what happened? Wayne Gretzky. Yes. To the Blues. The great one. Do you remember how that all came to be? Were you in town? I was not back in town. I remember I was living in Madison, Wisconsin. I remember the excitement because I grew up such a big Blues fan, always wondering, when are they going to win it all? They already had a good team. And I'm like, wow, they added Wayne Gretzky. Um, then you had the Mike Keenan and it just didn't work out. And it's like guys like Brett Hull will say, are you kidding me? We can't make it work with Wayne Gretzky. Uh, it was a weird deal. Cause he's out in LA. Remember that there's a Lou Tevlin was a sports reporter at Fox two. And he, there was a famous story that he got the interview, but he had to like crawl across the dais or something to get to him. And everybody could see it. I, I wasn't here, but in, in local sports media lore, it's a big time story. And then whatever happened, I mean, I don't think we, I think we might have lost to the Red Wings that year in the playoffs, and then he didn't re-sign the next season. We had him for two months. I think he played like 33 games or something. It's funny, when they had the Winter Classic and the Blues had an alumni game against the Blackhawks, 
Gretzky played for the Blues. I'm like, hey, does that count? He was there for 33 games, but he obviously still has an affinity for St. Louis, still lives here as well as other places. But we also remember his wife, the actress Janet Jones, is from St. Louis. So he's always had a St. Louis connection. But, yeah, that was – I think that was just sort of emblematic for Blues fans in that era because you had Brett Hull – you had star players, but they, it was it was always kind of like false hope. And once they got Gretzky, like, wow, we're going to win it. And remember the loss to the Red Wings. It was the Steve Eiserman goal that tinged off the crossbar. And uh, I believe John Casey was filling in because Grant Fuhrer had gotten injured. So it, it sort of symbolizes for Blues fans all this excitement that never quite was fulfilled. But it's not like he was washed when he joined the team. I mean, he went on and, and joined the Rangers after that and kept playing for another couple seasons. Yeah, no, I don't think he was done. I, I think he was done with Mike Keenan, who didn't get fired until the next season, if I'm doing all my math correctly. So I, I, I just don't think that, for a lot of reasons, it just didn't work out in that short period. So it's too bad because, again, he's still around. He has a lot of connection to St. Louis. You know, my brother-in-law is from Calgary, huge hockey fan. And this is a couple of years ago, but he calls me and he said, I was just at the Starbucks in Frontenac. I could have sworn Wayne Gretzky was standing next to me. And I, and I said, oh, what have you been drinking all day? Get out. No, it actually was Wayne Gretzky standing next to him. There's a lot of sightings around town and yeah, again, that moment, I think there was a lot of excitement, but it sort of fizzled a couple months later in the playoffs for the team. Yeah. Well, hopefully we're still excited about St. Louis City SC. And you recently talked to Carolyn Kendall and the president, right, Diego? Yeah, Diego Gigliani. Fascinating to me that a guy who grew up in South America, has worked in, in Europe and was working in London, he had a big-time job in charge of soccer teams in South America and soccer teams in Europe, came to City SC to be their president and general manager. That that just tells you that this, and we're excited about it locally, but it does tell you that there's a little bit of juice with this franchise that goes beyond, you know, our zip code here. And I was interested in why he took the job, but he said he heard all these great things about St. Louis that was part of it, chance to build something. It's amazing how international the whole operation is. You think about it, the coach is from South Africa, the president of, you know, the GM that we would call, you know, the guy who gets the, the sporting director, Lutz, is from Germany. The new guy came over from London, but he's actually from Argentina. The players are from Japan and Iceland and Norway and all over the place. So it really is uh, an international roster, which also I think little by little kind of extends the St. Louis brand across the globe, you know, little, little by little. Yeah. But yeah, talking to Carolyn, one thing Diego brought up, I said, what are you going to do for people who would love to go to games and they just can't get tickets? It's going to be frustrating over there. And he said, believe it or not, there are tickets available now, not on the secondary sites, but if you just go on their website, you got to plan ahead, but start looking at some of those games, maybe a month or two months from now, they are still selling individual tickets. They're single game. Because the misnomer is, I think, that there are no tickets available. Don't wait before the scalpers get them. Get them now. I thought that was interesting. And Carolyn still has a vision, I think, for even beyond City, eventually getting a women's professional soccer team. Oh, I she love mentioned that. that in the past. I asked her about it. She said, we got to get everything up and running perfectly over here first. But I think it's on the radar, just not immediate. 
Well, that's exciting. Sonny Gray named Cardinals opening day starter. Is this a good choice? Yeah, no surprise. He got the big free agent contract. I don't know who else would even would even be in the running. He did make his spring debut today, two shutout innings, a couple of hits, a couple of walks, got out of trouble. The good news is he's the opening day starter. The bad news is it's against the Dodgers. And Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman and Shohei Otani made his spring debut today and homered in his first game wearing the Dodgers uniform. Of course. uh, Welcome welcome to St. Louis here. By the way, your first start is against the Dodgers. But hopefully – this is the guy, again, that they're counting on a lot. They haven't had an ace in a while. Is he as good as some other teams' aces? That's probably debatable. But they if he's not good, this season's going nowhere. I think it's that simple. Uh, Jordan Montgomery is still available, uh, and he knows what a Cardinal uniform looks like. Who's that other guy that's that's still out there, Cy Young caliber Blake pitcher? Snell. Yeah, Blake, Blake Snell, Snell still available. Where's Mo in all of this? Well, there's <laughs> what do you mean, Josh? I'm down here in Jupiter. <laughs> Easy to find. I think I think they're done shopping. They're not going to spend the big, big, big bucks that those pitchers were looking for. I think what will be interesting, and teams always have injuries, teams will panic a little bit, but the closer you get to the season, does the pitcher, does the player, whether it's Blake Snell or Jordan Montgomery, get a little bit antsy and say to their agent, listen, I – I kind of want to pitch this year. I know you're holding out for the big deal. Can we do a one-year somewhere? Can we do a two-year somewhere? Um, I know Scott Boris is not inclined to do those sorts of deals, but at some point I think the player will get a little bit frustrated. and say, hey, I, I want to sign somewhere. It's, it's a little crazy that both of those guys are still sitting out there. Uh, they did sign Brandon Crawford, backup shortstop, not on par with those guys in terms of his current marketability, but again, kind of crazy just sitting out there looking for a job. You remember him probably from the Giants. I mean, I mean he's a gold glove winner, right? Four time gold glove winner, three time all star, one of the glue guys for those really good giant teams that seem to always, win the World Series. Always every beat other us. Year. Yeah. Yeah, and beat the Cardinals a handful of times, what, in 12 and in 14, both times in the NLCS, 2012 we were, and 2014. We were trading off. If it wasn't the Cardinals in the World yeah. Series, it was the Giants. Well, it went from, you're right, 10, 12, 14. San Francisco was in the World Series, and they won it. Cardinals were in it in 11 and 13. So in that five years, it was one of the two. So he was signed to back up Mason Wynn, the young guy. But a little bit of that is concerned because Tommy Edmond, the center fielder, is coming off wrist surgery. He's the backup shortstop. And I, I just think this is a sign, too, that they're a little worried about Tommy Edmond and when he's going to be able to return. Uh, for these pitchers that still don't have a landing spot, you know, I'm going to hold out hope that we'll get one of them. Uh, but does does spring training, does missing, yeah. right, does missing spring training just throw your whole season off? I'm trying to think of a recent example because somebody else signed late and we said, oh, it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter. Then they got hurt right away. So I I think it, I think it's helpful. I think spring training is way too long. They have way too many games. Uh, I'm sure the players say this is kind of stupid, except half the time they're all golfing, so they probably don't really care. I think it's way too long, but I think there's value in, for sure, pitchers getting down there, getting in that pitching condition. We're not talking about running on the peloton or riding the peloton, whatever. Uh, I think it is a detriment if they're not there at some point. So if these guys sign, let's let's clip and save this, Josh. Let's have this debate. If Snell signs the week before the season begins or Montgomery with 10 days before 
opening day. Let's just kind of track how those guys do without spring training. Deal. Who do you have tonight? Deal. Done. Coming up on the Kill Coin Conversation, we're going to talk to Big Walt, Keith Kachuk, about to pack his bags. He, he does all this recruiting for the Blues. That's his title, but he also does scouting. He looks at the players. He's off to London, Ontario, Madison, uh, no, Medicine Hat. I don't even know where that is. Is that Saskatchewan? I should know. It sounds made up, but he's about to hit the road. We talk about the Blues. We talk about who's hot in the NHL right now. And then Sean Kelly is the voice of the Florida Gators. He's a St. Louis guy who is Florida football, Florida basketball. Mizzou will play Florida tomorrow night. And I said, no, there's no relation to Mike Kelly, Sean Kelly, voice of the Tigers, voice of the Gators. No relation, but they know each other. Sean's a St. Louis guy. We'll catch up with him, not only about the matchup with Mizzou and Florida, but also a little bit about his career. Is that a bird <laughs> that I hear in the background? Are you sitting outside on a beautiful I have, veranda? When I talk, sorry, a little peek behind the curtain, literally, when I talk to you guys, I step out of the uh, sports office, step out back, there's a garage, and I can open the door, and it's so nice tonight. So I'm going to open the door and see what's going on. We've got birds. Now, it sounds like Norman Rockwell, except the birds are currently flying over the landfill in back. So oh. It's not quite as mm, scenic. The smell. See, I, I, should, I should have left it alone. I'm I, sorry. I, I ruined it. I had you kind of in your robe and sitting with your feet up and maybe a, a scotch or a bourbon in hand, but you're actually doing your other gig. Does it? Does yeah, it I'm Lynn? at the TV station. Although, with that, that rich girl's like, buddy, why can't you do both? I'm like, <laughs> yeah. oh, that's, true. that's true. Doesn't Glenn have some sort of outdoor fireplace that you could go hang out in? Uh, they're on well, it right now for I TV. That, oh. I was going to say, I am about 10 feet, and probably they're picking up audio of me. And they're mm-hmm. like, who's yammering in the background? Yeah. The producer's like, I... I hear beer. I hear. I hear some birds. I hear some. Now I hear Kilcoin. What's going on out there? Yeah. <laughs> is, Glenn, is he on? Is he on right now? You guys can see the yeah, studio. Man, they're, yeah, they're, him and Mandy. Yeah, they're out there. I should. I should. I should walk over there just for you guys. Yeah, photo bomb. <laughs> I'm in the disc. Carney every day. Carney's like, make sure and wave to us tonight. I should walk over there just wave. You should. <laughs> <laughs> so funny. All right, we'll be watching just in case you do. All right. And we'll listen tonight. You know, he's talking about uh, the Cardinals and getting down there. And not only are they, you know, running through drills, but they are working out and they're lifting weights and they're, uh, you know, on the Peloton and on the treadmill. And we might not be pro athletes, but we can still do all of that stuff at Club Fitness. I mean, Club Fitness has 19 area locations and they're open 24 hours a day. So if you are ready to kind of crank it up a notch, they eliminate uh, a lot of excuses. They've got a kids club. So if you're looking for a place where you can take the kids and not have to worry about childcare, check. If you're looking for a place that is open whenever you need it to be open, check. If you're looking for a place that is close well, with 19 area locations, chances are there's a club fitness near you. But then there's personal training, there's the cycle studio, there's dry saunas. You've got a little bit of everything, whether it's kind of that boutique feel or if it's just a, a big, open, wide space. Clubfitness.us is the website. You can learn about all the different memberships. Find a club fitness near you. Clubfitness.us. All right, let's wrap this show up with a random or two. 
Really quickly, 95-year-old groundskeeper George Toma prepared the Super Bowl field every year for 57 years before retiring after last year's game. He was known as the Sod Father. Oh, I like huh? it. How about that pun, uh-huh. Connor? And he's in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. As he should be. Well, with that, we say thanks for hanging out with us on this Tuesday afternoon. Hopefully, you'll meet us right back here starting at 3 o'clock. And until then, see if you can put a smile on somebody's face.